Hey, Northeast Pennsylvania, it's Rob O'Donnell here on WILK News Radio, 103.1 FM, 910, 980, 1300 AM is 3.09 here at the station, 76 degrees and cloudy. Still humid out, a little cooler today. Storms moved through earlier today. They're moving through again. I heard the EES warning on Nikki's show when I was coming in, so I would assume that there's probably going to be some more, hopefully not too many, during the day. Um, so... We're second day into the week. How's your week going? Got Jake back at the helm in the control room. That's all good. We're going to talk some NASCAR, you know, in a few minutes. Um, You know, give his uh, expert perspective and my novice perspective. Uh, Between the two of us, I'm sure you'll get something out of it, but I'm sure it's more of his take you'll you'll get from it. Uh, Mine was more mere of a spectator. I just had a, a little better access, so I got some good videos and pictures and some interviews. We're going to talk about them in a little bit. A lot going on um, nationally, a lot going on you know, around everywhere, as it, as it should be. But it's really not a too busy of a news day. We're going to have Tommy Marquez back at the 4 o'clock hour with the, our veterans news. He's been out for a bit traveling. Uh, he, was, he was in a doctor's office last week, so he was unable. They called him just before he was supposed to come on the show. And you know, if you're waiting for the doctor for a while, you can't just say, hey, hang on, because you know that. They'll skip you right over. Um, the Fed is set to raise the interest rate probably another quarter per point tomorrow. And there's there's a lot of mixed opinion with that. Um, you know, it, it has been, it's a balance between inflation and raising that interest rate. And we're kind of dealing with both. Now we, we still have inflation. You know, it hasn't skyrocketed to where, you know, they're preventing it from going, but it's still up. It's still, uh, you know, feeling, we're still feeling it. Uh, but it's been manageable. It's, it's, it hasn't been horrible news. But, you know, another raise in interest rates uh, affects us all, especially anyone who, who wants to borrow money, especially businesses who are looking to expand, looking to put on more employees, looking to take on extra debt to, uh, to help the economy. And it kind of stymies that as well. And it also hurts your banks because it's, it's more expensive to borrow money. So less people do borrow money at that point. And, uh, you know, hopefully if you're in the midst of buying a house like my son and his wife are, You've locked into your rate already because this was foreseeable. Everybody kind of knew it was coming down the pike. But you you have a co- economic experts saying, you know, if Bidenomics is working so good, this, this catchphrase that they're using. And it's funny how Democrats grasp on to Bidenomics, but then, you know, the, the same Democrats who who created the uh, the mantra trickle down economics, you know, how, how they. They weaponize these terms for for either good or bad, depending on how they see fit, and it just seems to be the way that goes. But we'll see what happens. But they met uh, today, and they're going to meet tomorrow, two-day meeting with the Fed, and uh, they're expecting it to be increased again. That's what all the experts are kind of saying now. So if you're on that bubble, I know some of the rates have already, you know, expectingly increased a little bit knowing that it's going to come tomorrow but if you're on that bubble and you haven't locked in maybe you do you know if you were going to buy that car maybe you want to get there today and do it before those rates go up uh, midday to late day tomorrow what else do we have in the news uh the biden new dog now they remember the what was the old uh, one one was commander and then they have the one now or commander's the one now and there was the one they sent away for biting secret service well the new dog that they brought in now, they're both German Shepherds, has also been biting Secret Service agents and sent another one to the hospital. 
So, uh, you know, we'll have to see that again. And it's, it's I made an interesting, uh, you know, analogy on my social media about that, that, uh, you know, the dogs, the dogs are, are angry, bitter dogs, I guess, you know, they're, they're poorly trained and they're protective. You, you can't blame the dog here. It's the handlers. It's how they're trained. It's the situation they're put in. I don't blame the dogs one bit. They're put in a, a situation that, that most animals don't have to be in with the type of connection there are with Secret Service and the president himself, the close proximity that they need to be him. They're always on guard protecting him. And the dog senses this. The dog picks it up. He's just a family dog. Yes, he might be a German Shepherd, but he's still a family dog. He, he senses the anxiety of those protecting the president around him, you know, the, the tenseness in their demeanor. And it probably puts the dog in that kind of atmosphere, in that kind of mentality. And you, you can't blame the dog one bit. But Joe Biden, if you go through his career as a senator, vice president, and now president, he's always been a mean SOB. He's always been nasty. He's always been condescending. He's talked down to people. He's attacked people. And, and even now in his older age, you know, when he gets that anger going, you know, he, he snaps and goes after people. What, he... Challenged the one guy to a push-up contest. Challenged the former President Trump uh, when they were running, you know, against each other to a fight. Um, you know, he could take him, and I'm sure it was in jest, but you know, still, just the same. He's always been a mean sob. So, you know, if the owner's like that, you got to take into consideration how the dog's going to be. You know, if 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 you're if you're a jerk, your dog's probably going to follow suit. And if you treat people a certain way, your dog picks up on that, too. Dogs are, are intelligent creatures, and sometimes I don't think we deserve the animals that are around us. But, you know, that's one of the other things going on in the news. One of the, the big stories for our area I saw today, and I reached out to Joe Fawcett to see if I could get him on. I have not heard back from him. Did a great story in today's uh, Times Tribune about the legendary Dunmore head football coach Jack Hensis. You know, his passing... I was fortunate, uh, fortunate enough to see him in action and coach it, and how, however be it against my son's team, the Lakeland Chiefs. But, you know, the Dunmore Bucks and the Lakeland Chiefs had a, a great rivalry, probably still do, but for many years. But, uh, you know, they always supported one another when they got to the next level. You know, it was a battle on the, on the football field. It was a battle on the, the you know, the territories during – during the season, but other than that, it was always good-natured support for each other, and that goes for a legendary coach. I mean, there's there's, there's not going to be another like him, I don't think, in my lifetime. Hopefully there is, because our young men and young women in our area, Northeast Pennsylvania, need coaches and leadership and mentor like uh, Jack Hensis has done for decades, decades um, 50-something years, a record of 444 to 146. Started out in what was the uh, Valley View School District for two seasons, I believe, and then moved to Dunmore and was there for the, uh, for the remainder. He was uh, 87 years old. And uh, it's just a, a loss for our community. I mean, obviously, his family is suffering the loss of their father, their grandfather, and such. 
But, uh, you know, his father, John Papa Bearhenses, built the Blakely Bears into a football powerhouse back in the day. And the Blakely Bears ended up merging with a couple of the Blakely School District with a couple other school districts to become the Valley View School District. Uh, what was it? Uh, Blakely High School joined with Archibald High School, Jessup High School to form Valley View in 1969. And uh, that's when... Pazaglia took over the Valley View School District, another legend coach from our area. I mean, I had I had the uh, privilege to see firsthand the Whistlechacks up by me. Both uh, both brothers for a time coached there, and now I believe they're at Valley View as well. But there was a statement uh, from the Dunmore Athletic Director saying we would like to extend our condolences to. Uh, Ms. Roseanne Hensis and the entire Hensis family, Dunmore Athletic Director Mark Finnan, said in a statement on behalf of the school district, the coach devoted his life to his family, our school district, and our football program. The signs uh, that sit on many yards around town that say God, family, and the Dunmore Bucks really symbolize his life. Coach Hensis had a remarkable record and career as a coach at Dunmore High School. His record speaks for itself. It was a relationship with his players and coaches and the impact he had on their lives that meant more to him than the wins or losses. And that's what's important. That, that's what's so underlooked with, with mentors like that, that it's, it's truly not about wins and losses. In football, it's about building young men into good men, young men into team players, young men who are coachable, who later are employable, who are later strive to do better. Strive to be better. Strive to be stronger. Strive to be faster. Just strive to be better than you are the next day than you were that day. And, uh, you know, they, they've gained national attention on several occasions. You know, they, they've gained state attention on multiple occasions. And it's just uh, sad to see that legacy end. And it, it won't never be forgotten. So uh, if you have a story about Jack Hensis, if you have uh, an impact that he's made on your life, please call or text the show at 570-883-0098. Like I said, just uh, you know, watching him coach, he was always on the other side of the field. But it doesn't mean I, I don't appreciate good mentorship and good coaching when I see it, because I did see it, even as an opposition parent. Um. You know, there, there's there's good leaders, and you could recognize good leaders. You don't have to be cheering for the good leaders. You don't have to be supporting for their win. But it's great from that perspective to see someone who had an impact like he had. And you saw it year after year after year. And the other events in Dunmore that he was always at, the support he showed for the community, not just a football team, the, sh- the support he showed for the school district as a whole. And... uh we need more of that. We need more of that today. We need more of that leadership, especially in education roles. And if you don't think a football coach and educator is just that, I mean, the studies prove time and time again, both high school and collegiate levels, that uh, someone who's involved in sports and, and, and their education, they do better. They are more involved. And it's a good extracurricular activity. And it's not just sports. You know, you, you bring music into that. You bring art into it. You bring acting into that. You know, if you're all-encompassing, all-around student, you're dedicating yourself to your 
growth more and more. And without leaders like a Jack Hensis, that growth becomes harder. And without mentorship. So you know, our condolences here on the Rob O'Donnell Show go to the, the entire Dunmore family and especially the Jack Hensis family. It's 321 here at WILK. We'll be back with the Rob O'Donnell Show in just Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio. It's 323, 76 degrees and cloudy here at the station. It's time for Rob's Rundown on this Tuesday, July 25th, 2023. Headlines that are happening, things that are out there in the media. Probably not going to get into them in depth today, but they're happening in our atmosphere, so we should be aware of them. Defense attorney motions to dismiss the charges in the Lackawanna County Office of Youth and Family Services cases. The state doesn't appeal rulings in the school funding case. Blakely man assaults police after swatting family members. Didn't work out too well for him. Scranton Council meets for the last time before their August recess. LeBron James's son goes into cardiac arrest during a college practice, currently in stable condition. Hanover Township mosquito sample tests positive for West Nile. Make sure you're wearing your mosquito spray when you're in the area. Luzerne County Election Board and Law Department at odds on seeking outside counsel. Jason Aldean will be in our area, down in Hershey this week, I believe. Martina McBride will also be at the Kirby Center, if you're looking for some things to do. After national attention, senior leadership at Lowe's rehires the employee who tried to stop those thieves. Good news for a change. And U.S. citizens will need a visa to visit Europe starting in 2024. And that's it for Rob's Rundown on this Tuesday, July 25th, 2023. So we talked about it a little yesterday, but like I told you, I was going to hold off on any NASCAR talk till our, our regional expert got in, Jake. Jake, you were at the races both Saturday and Sunday as well, correct? Wild. Absolutely wild. But yeah, I was there Saturday and Sunday, Rob. You were there for all three races? What time did you get there on Saturday? Well, I didn't make it to the truck race, but we, uh, Kelly and I, we were definitely there for the Xfinity race. And for the 20 years that I've been going to Pocono Raceway, when it came to the cup race on Sunday, this one was just in a league of its own. I mean, I don't even know what else to say as far as the amount of headlines, the amount of action, the amount of controversy. I mean, this was just absolutely wild and if if you if you didn't love that then i don't know what to tell you i mean a sold out crowd first time in a long time for pocono raceway both the grandstands and the infield and then like we were talking about earlier that overhead shot on twitter 2019 compared to this sunday at pocono raceway it's like night and day and anytime you hear of a sold out crowd anytime you hear of a big crowd the other thing that you always have to wonder and take into consideration is How do the ratings look? And this morning, happy to report that Pocono Raceway, the ratings on the USA Network, they were up 8% compared to the year before. 
that's a that's a pretty pretty big gain as far as NASCAR and ratings go. Yeah, yeah. Considering most of the people were there because it was sold out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, Brian uh, Brian Keselowski, Brad's older brother, he was spotting for him again, and he tweeted Sunday morning when he got there. He said, "We're three hours away from the green flag, and this is by far the biggest crowd I've ever seen in Pocono Raceway." And once once we got there Sunday, and you're sort of scrolling through social media. And as soon as Pocono Raceway, their their Facebook account popped up, and it's like a shot of the grandstand, and it just had it said sold out. I thought this is this is yeah, tongue tied there. This is exactly what you want to hear. And I would, I mean, in a perfect world, obviously, if it was up to me, there would still be two races there. But this is obviously a step in the right direction to hopefully get a second race back there again one day, but it'll probably be a few years. Yeah. Um, I was talking to some of the race management, uh, when we were there and he said that he, this is the most yellow flags he's seen here. And and you just looked it up when I was in the control room with you and you said for the 400, yes, it was, but it's the third most in history at Pocono. Yeah, it sure is. So the thing with Pocono raceway from the time they, Landed on the NASCAR schedule in 1974. So from 1974 to August of 2011, every race, cup race at Pocono was 500 miles, obviously with the exceptions of the ones that were either rain-shortened or dark-shortened. Ever since we went to 400 miles in June of 2012, we had 11 caution flags on Sunday at Pocono Raceway. The only time... That, that happened with a 400-mile race of Pocono that we had at least 10 cautions. That was June of 2016. But, yeah, only two away from the record back in June of 1990 and July of 2005. So definitely a lot of action and obviously a lot to explain what probably led to all the action there. And, I mean, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit after the news. But I would have to say the best race I've ever seen at Pocono Raceway. Yeah, I, I got to interview a couple of drivers. I interviewed Martin Truex Jr., William Byron, and Frankie Muniz of the the ARCA race. And uh, they all had the same thing, because my question was, what was what unique challenges did Pocono bring to both you and your team? And uh, here, here's Martin Truex Jr. when I got to him on Saturday before the race. Um, what challenges unique to Pocono brings to you and your team? You know, the biggest thing here is just three different turns. Um, you know, very a lot of speed, very high speed track, but not a lot of banking in the corners. So it's it's uh, it's pretty sketchy. There's, you know, you're always on edge, and, and your car's never perfect in all three corners. So it makes it really challenging. And then you throw in traffic, it's really difficult. You know, when you get dirty air here. So um, you know, at some point throughout the race, we're all going to be in a, in a spot we don't want to be, and it's uh, it's a big challenge. So whoever can get through traffic usually has a a really good day here. Uh, so that was uh, Martin Truex Jr. And uh, he he qualified second, correct? Behind William Byron. It's yeah, the, and the I best I, drivers this year, honestly. Yeah, I got to to William Byron as well, and this is what he said about what was unique about Pocono. Well, to touch on that, what unique challenges does Pocono bring to both you and your team? Just, I mean, everyone talks about it, making all three turns, just having the right balance. I mean, it's it's really uh, it's really tough to have all three turns have the right balance in the car. You're always gonna you know, when you talk to your crew chief about this place, you you know, you say, man, okay, one was good, two I missed, or three wasn't as good, or, you know, there's always, like, little spots. I feel like other racetracks, you just kind of talk about the whole balance, you know, around the whole track. You're like, ah, eh, you know, at Nashville, I'm free in this spot, or I'm tight in this spot, but 
uh, here it's just it's really it's really different. You know, you have a lot of time to think down the straightaways, and um, corner entry is really tough. Come up here to the front. So uh, for a novice guide in NASCAR, I got two of the best qualifier interviews in, so it did row. pretty well, right? Yeah, definitely. And that's when I listened to Truex's interview, and I I respect the hell out of both Truex and Byron. But obviously with Truex, someone that's been coming there since 2006, a lot of the things that I was thinking of as far as how to explain this whole race, but when he talked about the different corners, but especially clean air. And that's the thing that we're going to dive into after the news here with Paul. But that was, the, I think, the biggest thing was clean air on Sunday. And definitely the uniqueness of this track and having to set up for three different corners and obviously having to sacrifice a corner so you could be really, really good coming off of turn three. Because I remember back in 2013, Dale Jr. had probably one of the very few cars that could run with Jimmy Johnson that day. And he talked about the one corner that Jimmy got him all day that had him beat all day was coming off of turn three. And that played a big, big part when he would end up winning there in 2014, sweeping both races. So, yeah, we def we'll definitely dive into more of it. And especially, I guess you could say, the, the frenemies that we have now with Denny Hamlin and Kyle Larson <laughs> and the chaos that ensued with that. Yeah, no doubt. Well, we'll get back to this some NASCAR talk in a minute. It's 3.32 here at WILK. We'll be back after the news with Paul Michaels. Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio. It's 3.38. We're talking this weekend's NASCAR race with our engineer and expert on NASCAR, Jake, in the control booth. Just got a text message, Jake. Uh, all well and good, but they should, have thrown, they should have thrown the caution on the last lap and let Truex and Hamlin run for the win. Decisions like that led to fans fleeing the sport. They have a sold-out place and end without racing. Remember racing back to the line, no lucky dog, and race to get your lap back. Yeah. Obviously, those days are long and gone. And the old school days of NASCAR, obviously, when the caution flag would come out and you would run like hell to beat the other guy back to the line. And obviously, we sort of ran into a bit of a safety issue with that at New Hampshire, September of 2003. Dale Jarrett wrecks down in turn four. He's sitting in the middle of the racetrack, and here's guys like Michael Waltrip, Casey Mears, all these guys just scattering all over the place trying to get their laps back. And NASCAR at that point, they had they really had no choice. I mean, here's Dale Jarrett. If he gets rammed into by one of those guys, I mean, you – you don't even want to think about the consequences. So. Now, wasn't it the second to last lap, just before this, that a car spun out and they yeah. were—they looked like they were letting them. They were still running under green, but the car couldn't get off the track. Yeah. So what happened was Corey LaJoy got up into Ryan Priest as they were coming out of the tunnel turn. Ryan spun out, and then obviously Ryan was not happy with him after the race was over. We'll talk about that later on. But yeah, there was Ryan. He's sitting there. He can't get his car refired. And I remember I turned to Kelly at that moment. I said, holy crap, this race is going to go to overtime. Because the rule is, as soon as the last lap of that race begins, as soon as the white flag is waved, that race is over. Now, I mean, if a caution flag waves after that, it's over. But if the yellow flag waves before they wave the white flag, you're going to overtime. So I was shocked. I was shocked that they waved the white flag. I was shocked that here's Ryan Priest sitting in the tunnel turn, a car won't fire, and you have these guys going 180 miles an hour. And and he was blocking the entire lower half of the track. Yeah, and Jeff Burton and Dale Earnhardt Jr. on NBC, you know, Jeff Burton 
who was one of the biggest safety advocates of the sport back in the day, he said, we've got to throw a caution, got to throw a caution. You can't keep them green with the car sitting there. And then finally, about maybe 10 seconds after that was when they finally threw the caution. But I'm thinking, like, that was that was so poor, the amount of – really the, the terrible amount of timing that it took. I mean, here was Ryan. They threw it, what, nearly 30, 40 seconds after he spun and his car sitting there. That was – Yeah, they were almost up on him just, just as they were coming around the start of that turn yeah. uh, is when they finally threw the caution because, uh, like I said, <laughs> we were watching it. We thought they were going to come around and – you know, if, if it was still to green, you know, they were going to dip low to try and pass, and, and he was right there. Yeah, NASCAR uh, should have thrown that caution flag as soon as Ryan was spun out. And, hey, however many laps it takes to go to overtime, so be it. But that was that was stupid on NASCAR's part to keep it green as long as it did. Yeah, and then when, when the winner... <laughs> Got the checkered flag. There was a. I heard nothing but booze. I mean, yeah. I still had my earplugs in, but I heard nothing but booze. Yeah, you know the thing with Denny Hamlin is Sunday. Obviously, was a historic day for Denny. It was the fiftieth one of his career, and he broke that tie with Jeff Gordon that we talked about. Both of them had six ones at Pocono going into Sunday. Denny finally got the seventh. Didn't have to get disqualified for tape on the front of his car. The thing with Denny is he he races people hard he races them aggressive and a lot of times Denny will be the one to be preaching about oh you know guys shouldn't be racing hard you know give and take and all this and whatnot but yet he'll he'll be extremely aggressive when he's out on that racetrack and this Sunday at Pocono himself and Kyle Larson he and Kyle off the track, they're great friends. They go golfing together all the time. Who knows? They could be golfing right now as we speak, probably hashing this out. But the biggest thing, remember when Martin Trex Jr. talked about clean air on Saturday? Yeah. That's pretty much what happened. Aside from the fact that there were seven laps to go in the race when the two of them were racing each other for the lead and the win at Pocono. And with this next-gen car that NASCAR created that debuted last year, the biggest thing with the car, and especially at a place like Pocono, the moment you're leading that race, clean air like Trex talked about, the moment you have that lead, you could pretty much check out on the field. I mean, look at what happened to William Byron on Sunday. Led 60 laps, easily, easily had the best car, but once Rudy Fugel pitted him and he was mired back in traffic, look at where William Byron finished on Sunday, 14th. So Denny knew at that point, I'm up alongside Kyle. I've got to pass him. If I don't pass him coming off a of turn one and onto the long pond straightaway, Kyle Larson could pretty much wave goodbye to the rest of the field. So he was just just racing hard. Yeah, and anytime and, there were green, anytime we were under extended green flag racing, the, the, the lead cars were taken away from the rest of the pack, oh, and they had plenty of space between them even. Yeah, I mean, and that was the biggest thing. Denny knows this place and this car, clean air. And he did what he had to do. Larson was upset. I don't blame Kyle for being upset. But at the same time, I was listening to Denny Hamlin's podcast this morning. I, I got through about the first half hour of it or so. And Kyle, as talented as he is, look at how many people he's running on the wall. His teammate, Chase Elliott, California last year, ran Chase off the road at Watkins Glen last year. I mean, yeah, it's the end of the racing. You got to do what you got to do. But at the end of the day, don't be whining and complaining about Denny racing you hard when you've pretty much done the same thing. And the biggest thing is Kyle races for Hendrick Motorsports. And let's face it, 
they're the most popular team. You have Chase Elliott, the most popular driver. Dale Earnhardt Jr. raced there. Jeff Gordon raced there. So obviously you're going to have tons of Hendrick fans. And I feel like people are upset because, oh, my God, Denny Hamlin raced a Hendrick car hard for the win at the end. God forbid. But if the roles were reversed, if, if that was Kyle Larson, Chase Elliott, William Byron, Alex Bowman, if it's any one of those four, if they raced Denny the way that he did, it'd be celebrated like there was no tomorrow. So I feel like in some ways that there might be, I guess you could say like a bit of a hypocrisy when it comes to Hendrick fans. And that's the biggest thing. Denny, he's in a Toyota. He used to be Kyle Busch's teammate. So that's why you saw so many middle fingers and so many <laughs> boos on Sunday. And credit to Denny. Denny, as polarizing as he could be, that kind of that kind of attitude and that kind of mentality is what NASCAR needs. That's what's going to have people tuning in this Sunday at Richmond. I mean, let's face it. People won't be talking about, oh, Richmond is Denny Hamlin's home track. Oh, Kyle Larson won at Richmond back in April. No, everyone's going to be wondering, is Kyle Larson going to pay back Denny Hamlin? It, it, with, with how mad and how disgusted that, that he was on Sunday. That's going to be the biggest storyline. That's what's going to draw people Draw those eyeballs to the TV this Sunday at Richmond, Denny and Kyle. And I can't wait to see what happens, not only this Sunday, but moving forward as we're five races away from the playoffs beginning. Yeah, I was trying to explain it to Lisa and with the good guys and bad guys, and you touched yeah. on it a little bit, but I was like, it's sort of like professional wrestling, but this is real. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you have your good guys and your bad guys. Yeah. It's it's hard to explain. And I said, quite honestly, I don't know who's who, so we got to get Jake to, <laughs> yeah. to I, I just go by the crowd reaction. Oh, but. Yeah. But credit to Denny before we go to break here. He said, I appreciate all the love from Pocono. And I saw so many, I saw so many double barrels that Denny Hamlin got on Sunday as he was doing his burnout. And to Denny's credit, he posted on Twitter a couple pictures of people giving him the finger, both middle fingers as he's doing the burnout. He said, I appreciate the love, Pocono, and I appreciate seeing all the elevens in the stands. <laughs> Yeah. Since his number is 11. <laughs> uh, well, I was I was in uh, the Gibbs, Joe Gibbs Racing Ty pit Gibbs. with the number 54 yeah. card, Ty Gibbs. I, I was there for the entire race and, and right at the start-finish line. Had a yeah. great view, and they were running real well. They were in the top six. Uh, sometimes, you know, they took a, a couple of lead laps. So they were in three for a while. They were fighting for it, and it and was good to see the team and the dynamic of his team work. Because, like I said, I was in their pits working them. If you follow me on social media, you've seen some of their, their tire and gas changes. But uh, those guys work, man. But walking through the pits with Jake, he's like <laughs> naming every guy on the team. Like, this is yeah. this guy, this is this guy, this is this guy. Uh, we'll yeah. talk about that when we come back. Uh, it's Rob O'Donnell Show here on WILK. We'll be back in a minute. Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio. It's 355, 76 degrees with some rain heading our way. We're talking about NASCAR weekend with our producer Jake in the control room. Um, Saturday, though, I, I enjoyed all the race. I was just walking onto pit row in the track when uh, Frankie Muniz was, uh, was having a mechanical issue, and they ended up pushing him off pit row because they have only so much time to work on their car on pit row. Yeah, it doesn't really apply to much so much to ARCA as it does to the top three series of NASCAR. Usually in ARCA, you could work on it 
But a situation like that with the battery, they definitely had to go to the garage to fix it. Well, they, they pushed them right to the on-ramp, just, just where the cross, the where you walk across the pit row area. And they ended up taking the rear tire off. They were checking all the electrical systems. They had to pull both batteries. Uh, you know, I, I, I was able to interview him. And, and anyone who doesn't know who Frankie Munez is, um, you know, Malcolm in the Middle, he was a, a you know an actor for, for many years. He, he did a bunch of other stuff. My kids used to watch him. Um, he's a lot older than I suspected. You know, he's 37, you said, Jake? 37, going on 38 later this year. Yeah, but, uh, you know, he was a favorite. I, I, he was uh, he was looking for a top five finish at least. He was number two yeah. in the points for the ARCA, and it was real disappointing to him uh, that this happened. He was down 17 laps, and I think he ended up being down 11 laps at the end. Uh, but once he got the electrical issue back, back and up and running, um, you know, the car ran good, so it was real disappointing. And, uh, you know, I was able to, to, to speak with him a little bit about this. The audio was as iffy because, uh, you know, it was a hot track when it was going on. But this is what uh, Frankie Munez had to say. Rob O'Donnell, WILK News Radio here in Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm here with Rhett Jones Racing, number 30 driver, Frankie Munez. Um, Tricky Triangle was just that today. But, you know, you know, I know you had a couple of number six finishes. I know you wanted to get in the top five. If not a win, you were number two in the points. Yep. What happened with the car? Uh, we got hit really, really hard on the initial start, uh, like super hard, and it knocked the connection loose from the battery, um, and it fried the batteries. So when the first caution came out, like it, we were losing voltage, it completely died, made it back to the pit lane, but by the time we changed the batteries, I was 13 laps down, you know, and I, I would say that like something like this hurts more than anything. Like, I was mad at Elko because I felt like I got taken out, you know what I mean, uh, when we crashed, um, which is painful because I was in the top five, but this is almost more because you go like, I didn't, I didn't do anything. Like, I, you know, I didn't even get to run. I, I felt like, you know, we, I felt good the first couple laps. Like, I think we easily could have finished, seeing who finished where they finished, I easily could have been in the top five today. Yeah. I think that makes it worse. I didn't even get a, an opportunity to try, if that makes sense. But uh, it's part of it, unfortunately, you know what I mean? But, I, you know, I, I thank my, my team for working so hard to get it changed so we can even go back out and, you know, you... At that point, you're just hoping, not hoping, you don't want to hope that people crash, but like some people fall out so you can move a few spots up, but nobody did, you know what I mean, and just kind of ran, ran around by myself, just tried to stay out of trouble, and, you know. Unusual for one of these races that no one fell out. I, I heard you talking about that when you when you parked the car after the race. Yeah, you know, yeah, here, it's a tough track, you're right on the limit, I mean, everywhere you're on the limit, but here the limit is insane, like through turn two, the tunnel turn. That you you expect to see uh, some big ones there. I would, yeah, as a driver, I would expect someone would make a mistake there. You know, you barely touch that apron, you're crashing hard. But uh, yeah, that'd be stayed pretty clean. Um, you know, I don't know. I I, I use I, I run really hot, right? I sweat my ass off all the time. I'm drier than dry. You know, I, yeah, I, I ran by myself. It was a Sunday cruise, you know, unfortunately. So. So that was Frankie Munez after the race. You know, pretty, you know, he he knew he had the potential that day. He knew he had a good car, and it was just uh, unfortunate to see how it ended up for for something like an electrical issue that takes time to diagnose in itself. It is very unfortunate, Rob. But the good thing with Frankie, and I did catch that interview. I just love the emotion and the passion that he has for racing. That that's what really stands out to me because, like we talked about before, you hear of so many actors that, oh yeah, we're, you know go race this race, go race that race. But, I mean, he has been passionate about this from the time that he was a teenager. So, And the good thing with him, when I when I did that interview with his trailer, there was a line of about 40 people that were waiting oh, yeah. to get autographs, and he signed every autograph. Yeah, he's a good dude. 
So, uh, well, that was race weekend this weekend. Uh, if you got anything else to add, Jake, we'll get it back after the break. All right. Sounds good, buddy. <laughs> it's uh, almost four o'clock here at WILK News Radio. We'll be back after this.